0: Well, good morning, Northridge, and happy Thanksgiving week. So glad that you're here. For those of you in person, so great to see your lovely and beautiful faces. And for those of you at our regional campuses, thank you so much for gathering with us in person. And for those of you who are gathered with us online, thanks for being a part of Northridge Church and happy Thanksgiving to you as well. I want you to know one of the things Roxanne and I are most grateful for is that we have the privilege of a spiritual family like this. And so as we celebrate Thanksgiving, you will be a big part of what we're thankful for. And I have to tell you that the snow won't be a thing that we're thankful for. I can, can you believe it? Oh, yeah, we live in Michigan. It's okay. But uh, how many of you are just curious and chat it up online, if you're online, engages just like you're in person on the comments. But how many of you would say you love snow? Okay, we have a couple people that need some medicine. Um, no. it, it, snow's a beautiful thing. I, I was telling someone earlier today when I was younger, I loved snow. I loved it. And, I mean, I one time had a ministry thing down in Florida, and it snowed 12 inches up here, and I told my wife I'm getting on a plane to come home. I wanted to be in the snow. Now I hear it's going to snow 12 inches, and I'm getting on a plane to get out of the snow. But it's a whole different thing. But I, I, thank you for being here. And I hope you have a great Thanksgiving, however you celebrate it, this week. And if you're a guest, we're grateful that you're here with us this weekend. And we're in a series called God is Both Builder and Rebuilder. And it's a truth that we all need because all of us need building in our lives and rebuilding in our lives. And I have to tell you that this series has become more meaningful to me personally than I thought it would. And I've had others say that it's becoming meaningful to them, and I'm I'm grateful for that. This weekend we're going to look at what we're calling the power of team, and it sounds pretty almost business-like, but it's not. It has everything to do with how God's designed us to live as human beings. Uh, sadly, in our world these days, and in many of our lives, we tend to be more defined by, well, the exact opposite of what God originally intended. I mean, all you have to do is open the beginning of the Bible, and he explains to us what he intended for this world and for our lives. In the beginning, he created, he built this world. And according to his own words, he he looked at it and he said, man, it's good. It's good. And he makes it clear in the creation story that he made us in his image, he made us to reflect and reveal and represent Him and His goodness in this world. So being made in His image, He created us to build up and to advance and to cultivate, encourage, and actually further His goodness. He he created us to be a positive force for good and goodness in this world. But have you looked around recently? I mean, this isn't exactly how it's working out. For the most part, this isn't what's happening in our world or in most people's lives. And the reason is simple. We, we are living according to the wrong plan. We are not living according to God's design. And so here's the reality that will form the basis of, of our need for this conversation this weekend. We experience diminished potential, decline, and destruction. We experience loss and darkness and despair and all the negatives that, that God would not call good. We experience them because we choose to live independently rather than interdependently. In other words, we've, we've lost what God's designed for us to experience, the goodness of this creation in our lives, because we've made the wrong choice. We've chosen to live focused on ourselves as individuals instead of being focused on loving others as ourselves, on interdependence, on inviting each other in and depending on each other. And you need to know that this is a very biblical issue when Adam and Eve first surrendered to Satan's temptations and walked away from God. At the same time, they also walked away from each other. Which leads us to this truth. Once we put our faith in Jesus, once we allow Jesus, by His grace, to forgive us, to make us new, then for us to experience God's rebuilding in our life demands that we go back to following His design, to living His plan. It demands choosing to depend on and to work with others. That's why we call this the power of team. If we're really going to experience God's building and rebuilding in our lives, then we have to choose to depend on and work with others. We cannot focus on ourselves as individuals as primary. We cannot live independently. We have to choose to live interdependently focusing on each other loving each other as we love ourselves now in order to get this thing kicked off I love pictures I love metaphors and so the team knows that and they came up they found a bunch of videos as a matter of fact that kinda tell the story and we picked three little vignettes that we think will help you to understand the basis of this conversation and it's humorous it's fun but It's real. So, here's the first one. If you love crabs and you love the ocean, you'll love this video. That dude's dead. No way he can stand up to this bird unless... The power of teams. Let's give the bird a haircut. That's the power that we have coming together, a power we don't have alone. Another ocean scene with birds, only penguins. Here they are, and Jaws. They don't have a prayer, unless somehow they work together. Power of Team. We have each other. One last one. If you don't like water, you've got a land scene here. And watch this leader. He's awesome. I could be a better leader if I had more arms. Boom! This is how God's made us to live. Not independently, not focused on ourselves as individuals, but to live interdependently, to focus on each other, loving each other as we love ourselves, and what happens is it changes our world. We have to get back to God's plan. We have to choose to depend on and work with others. Now, now that we've seen The more important and deeper stuff, the videos we just saw, maybe we should turn to God's Word and see how this thing plays out. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Genesis 2, verse 18. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper, a partner suitable for him. God had just created, and God always has a point in his creation. It's not that he made mistakes. It's that he was trying to teach values, lay down the foundational view that we should have of the world. And so he created a perfect environment called paradise. He he was present perfectly in that environment. And then he made Adam in his own image to reflect his image. And he let Adam exist for a time. We don't know how long. But exist alone and everything god created he said that's good that's good that's good that's good and then when he saw the man was alone he said it is not good for the man to be alone he was teaching us in the very act of how he created the order of creation that he did not design us he did not make us to focus on ourselves as individuals to live alone he did not make us to live independently. He made us to live interdependently, to need each other, and so I will make a helper, a partner, suitable for him. This is the design. And yet we live in a world that's messed up and the opposite of what God's created. Many of us live lives the opposite of what God intended, all because we're not living according to his design. And the Bible all the way through it keeps repeating this. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, starting with verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. He's saying, in the name of Jesus, once you are following Jesus, once you've been redeemed, you need to make sure you love others as yourself. Don't just consider yourself, but consider how you may spur one another on. The Bible's filled with one another. It's about us together, not us alone. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Don't do what many are doing. They stop meeting. In the name of Jesus, they still focus on themselves as individuals. In the name of Jesus, they still live opposite of God's plan. In the name of Jesus, they still live independently by choice. And so they use the right words and sing the right songs, but they never experience what God intends for them. In order to do that, we have to choose to involve and depend on one another. Keep getting together. I mean, it's the way God's created us. Now, we've given you the video pictures, but now I think it'd be more important that we give you one of the pictures God gives us. For me, it's one thing to hear the truth. It's another thing to experience or see the reality of that truth. And in this series, we're looking to Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a great example of the importance of living interdependently and the destructive reality when we don't live interdependently but we live independently, Nehemiah. And I want to show you, we see it at the very beginning. I'm going to summarize the whole story and then we'll look at components of it. In Nehemiah 2, verse 13, we see the reality of what happens when people live independently. By night, I went out examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. And when you read the book, if you've already been a part of the conversations in this series, you see that for 140 years, God's city had been broken down, and God's people had been broken down, lying in ruins. For 140 years, Why? Because they were all focused on themselves as individuals, what was best for them, and not focused on the community, loving others as themselves. But then Nehemiah came and changed the focus back to depending on, involving each other. And it ends in chapter four, verse six, this part of the narrative with these words, so we rebuilt the wall. As individuals, the wall and the people remained in ruin and a mess for 140 years, but when they came together and did life the way God designed it, so we rebuilt the wall. Now, I'm telling you, this has such deep resonance in our lives today because we live in a world that is broken down and lying in ruins. We live personal lives which are often broken down and lying in ruins, and we are seeing marriages often broken down and laying in ruins, and we see families broken down and laying in ruins, and we see churches broken down and laying in ruins, and we see communities and states and countries breaking down and experiencing ruin. And it all goes back to what God says. I didn't design you this way. It's not about focusing on the individual. It's about loving others as you love yourselves. It's the great command of God. And so, Nehemiah showed it, and it worked. I want God to be rebuilding my life. I want God to be rebuilding your life. I want God to be rebuilding our lives, and the only way it's going to happen is by living according to His plan. So, walking through Nehemiah, let's make some applications if we're going to experience God's rebuilding in our lives, which all of us need, it demands making the choice to include and depend on other godly people. We have to include godly people in our lives and involve them in our lives. And I want to show you how in the book of Nehemiah, it's just so clear, it laid in ruins for 140 years and then this guy comes and gets them making the choices that they need to make to have God rebuild their lives. And everything changes. All of Nehemiah 3, quite frankly, is about what they did. And I'm going to just show you a portion of it, introduced by chapter 2, verse 18. So they began this good work, the good work that hadn't been done for 140 years, the good work to experience God rebuilding. Chapter 3, verse 1, Eliashib, the high priest and his fellow priests, went to work, and rebuilt the sheep gate together. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Imri, built next to them, working together. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah, and Marimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshizabel, made repairs, and next to him, Zadok, son of Ba'ana also made repairs. I'm going to stop reading there because I didn't want to learn all the other names in this story, uh, number one. But second of all, the entire chapter is the same thing. This guy, this family, this group worked on this section of the wall. When you really figure out the geography of Jerusalem, they were working neighbor to neighbor to neighbor to neighbor to neighbor to neighbor to neighbor, all the way around, fulfilling their responsibilities, involving each other, depending on each other, trusting each other. Something they hadn't done for 140 years, and what happened all of a sudden, what never happened before for a hundred years happened now. So we rebuilt the wall. So many people read Nehemiah 3 and they go, Oh my gosh, I'm so tired of reading about people building this section of the wall. But you miss the point. For the first time in a century, They were choosing to live by God's design, not independently, not focused on the individual, but in community, focused on each other. And it changed everything, so we rebuilt the wall. And you need to know, this is how God made us. It's how God made you. We will never do anything in accordance with cultivating goodness, advancing goodness in this world, until we get this point. We need each other to experience the fullness of God's promises and work in our lives. Just so you can see it in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at starting with verse 12. The body is a unit, though it's made up of many parts. It's one body, but man, it has a bunch of parts that have to work together. And though all of its parts are many, they form just one body. Together, they become a body. Separate, they're useless. So it is with Christ. That's how we're designed For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. Though we're many different people, we have been made to be one, a community. Verse 18, but in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. We need each other. I didn't read the part in 1 Corinthians 12 that says, What good is an eyeball without an eye socket? Doesn't really say it like that, but you get the idea. What good's a foot without an ankle and a leg? It's no good at all. We have to invite each other in, involve each other, and trust each other, live interdependently, or we'll never experience life as God designed. You know what we'll get? exactly what we've been getting. You know what we'll experience? Exactly what we've been experiencing. It's time to make a shift. Let's go further in the application from Nehemiah. If we're going to experience God's rebuilding in our lives, I mean really experience Him rebuilding, restoring, and renewing our lives, then it demands that we make the choice to accept and embrace godly leadership. Godly leadership in our lives. Nehemiah represents this in an amazing way just know this, they had a ton of leadership for 140 years. Nobles, I'll even point some of these out in a minute, and people with titles, and people with control, and people with influence, community level, and national level. And I mean, they had all kinds of people with the title leader, but what they were doing was leading with a focus on themselves, using the power for themselves, which always brings about destruction. But Nehemiah came and he used all of his power, and he had a ton of it. He used all of his power not to focus on himself, but to focus on others. And it changed the world. Do you know how different marriages would be if we used all of our power to focus on the other? Do you know how different our families would be if we used all of our power to focus on the other? Do you know how different our churches would be if we used all of our power to focus on the other? Do you know how different our nation would be if these people used all of their power to focus on the other? It's why our world's messed up, and it's not just them. It's so easy to see it out there, but we have to see it in here. We have to accept and embrace godly leadership. And I, I Just read a passage from Nehemiah so you can see it, starting with verse 17. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. They lived in the rubble. They lived in the ruins. But they were so focused on living independently for themselves that they didn't do anything about it. So he comes and he says, let's focus on God and on each other and everything will change. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And we, all these plurals, we will no longer be in disgrace I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. God is making this happen. Let's come together as God designed. They replied, something they hadn't done in 140 years, let us start rebuilding the wall. It's awesome. But I need you to know that in the most positive stories of God's working on this planet. There are always people who keep choosing the opposite. There are always people. You will never have, until we're with God in eternity, you will never have 100% participation in interdependence. You'll always have someone coming in focused on themselves as an individual, always. And I want you to see it in this story. Look at Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 5. The next section, I mean they're talking about all these sections being repaired and everybody let us rebuild the wall. So we rebuilt the wall, but the next section was repaired by the men of Tecoa, the people of Tacoa, They were all in, man. They were giving themselves focused on others, not just themselves, but their nobles. Who are their nobles? Their leaders. Who are their nobles? The people with title, the people with power, the people with control, the people that kept it for 140 years broken and ruined, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. We're not going to do it. You think we're going to follow someone else's leadership? No. We're going to do what we want to do. We're going to follow our agenda. We're going to keep making our lives comfortable. They wouldn't do it. And here's a saying that doesn't come from the Bible, but the Bible gives it its its grip, its truth. Everything rises and falls on leadership. In the book of Nehemiah, God's rebuilding was unleashed because of Nehemiah's leadership. Israel rose, but it had fallen for 140 years because of leadership as well. Everything rises and falls on leadership. Do you realize that leadership is such an important issue? Because since creation, whenever God has chosen to build or rebuild something in this world, he always has chosen a leader. He chooses to work through leaders. It's what he's chosen to do. He chose Abraham. He chose Moses. He chose Joshua. He chose David. He chose the 12 apostles, all when he was Wanting to do a rebuilding work, and he's going to do the same thing today in our lives. And some of you are going, Oh, that's really great. And you're thinking of leaders, you're thinking of the election, you're thinking of how great this would, church would be when you get a new pastor. You're thinking about those things, right? And I thought that was cute. But anyway, you get the idea. We're, we're thinking out there, but you can't be thinking out there of accepting and embracing leadership because this is relevant to all of us. Yes, because. We have to respond to leadership, yes, because we have to choose leaders that will follow, etc. But we also need to remember that we're all called to be leaders. This is not just a problem with the leaders out there or the leaders up here. This is a problem with all of us because all of us are called to be leaders. And let me, let me just prove it to you, okay? All believers are called to be leaders, every single true follower of Jesus. And if I had started this conversation by saying, how many of you are followers of Jesus? Almost all of you would raise your hand, even those of you who aren't really following Jesus, because that would be peer pressure, right? And then I'd say, all of you that just raised your hand have been called by God, assigned by God, as surely as Nehemiah, to be leaders Are you leading to yourself, focused on individuality, independence, or are you leading to others, focused on loving others as yourselves? And you say, we haven't all been called to be leaders. God gives the gift of leadership to some. Yes, He does. He gives the gift of leadership to some. But He also gives the gift of giving to some. Does this mean that all of us don't have to give, it's just the people with the special gift of giving? No. We're all called to lead, just as we're all called to give, but some of us are gifted to go beyond and above in the capacity to lead. And you say, where does it say that we're all called to be leaders as believers? I'll just prove it to you. Jesus said, we're the light of the world, right? Those who follow Jesus, we're the light of the world. Can I ask you a question? I've already given you the answer. Here's the question. In pitch black darkness, who's the leader? Okay, for those of you online, Put it in the comment sheet. Give me answers here. They haven't had enough coffee quite yet to answer, all right? So let's do it again. In pitch black darkness, who's the leader? The one with the light. Who are those who have the light in this world? God's people, followers of Jesus. Who are called to be leaders in this world? We are. You want to know why this world's a mess? It's not a mess just because we have leaders out there in businesses, and community, and government who are leading for their own benefit. It's because we are not exercising leadership interdependently. We're exercising all of our influence for ourselves. It's just the way it is. Do you realize parents are leaders? All of us are leaders in one or more context of our lives, but let me give this caveat. To be leaders who build up rather than tear down, to be leaders who cultivate and advance God's goodness instead of darkness, we first have to be willing to follow, and then we can lead. And I'm going to tell you why there's such a glut, an impoverished need for leaders in this world. It's because most people with positions of leadership, like the nobles in Tekoa, aren't willing to follow. You saw the passage. It says, we're not going to follow their leadership. We're leaders. We're going to do what we want to do. They didn't know how to follow. But look what Paul says about leading the right way. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Follow my example. I'm a leader. I'm influencing you. Follow me as I follow the example of Christ. Paul was a great leader, not because he had greater gifts of leadership, not because he was a greater person, not because he didn't have flaws, Paul was a great leader in the end because he learned how to follow the right leader, accept the right leader, embrace the right leader, and reflect the right leader. And it made him phenomenal in how he used his influence. And that's how we become great leaders. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Do you know how different our marriages would be if we first learned how to successfully follow follow, and then influence? Do you know how different our families would be if we first learned how to follow, accept, embrace God's leadership, the right leadership in our life, and then use our influence? Do you know how different our nation would be? We have to get back to God's design. So, the application, if we're going to experience God's rebuilding in our lives, If we're going to truly experience what God wants us to do, then we have to make the choice to, as we've seen, include and depend on other godly people. Not live in independence, but interdependence. We have to accept and embrace godly leadership. Follow me as I follow the example of Christ. And finally, if we're really going to experience God's rebuilding our lives, we have to make the choice to fully give our hearts and our hands to God's work to the right work, to the right kingdom, to the right building project, which is never about building my kingdom. It's always about me being a part of building His kingdom. Look at how it happened in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6. So, and this was 140 years where it was I, 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 ruins, brokenness, mess, darkness, nothing like what God created us to be, and then all of a sudden, so we... Rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. For the people worked with all their heart. They gave all of their heart, not for themselves, but for God's glory and for the community. All of their heart. And then look at Proverbs chapter 21, verse 25. The sluggard, the sluggard's the one who won't get up off the couch, the sluggard's the one that won't invest in anyone else, too busy, focused on his own or her own individual, you know, comfort. The sluggard's craving, they want everything, will be the death of them because their hands refuse to work. And so the sluggard, the one focused on themselves, will not fully give their hands to God's work, they won't fully give their hearts to God's work, And quite frankly, it explains the mess we're in. So let me ask you a question. Are you, have you been, this week, giving your full heart to God's work, to God's kingdom, to caring about what God cares about? Remember the great command, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And by the way, when you do, you'll love others as yourself. Have you been giving your full heart to God's work this week? If not, that explains everything, doesn't it? Do you think our community leaders, our government leaders have been giving their full heart to God's work on either side? That explains the problem we're in, right? Have you been giving your full effort, all of your hands, all of your activity to do God's work? If not, that explains the mess we're in. If we are ever going to experience the positive work of God building and rebuilding our lives, our marriages, our families, our churches, our businesses, our country, our world, we have to work at building and rebuilding those things. It's true God does the work, but it's not true that God does the work without us giving our hearts and our hands to the labor, to the effort. So many people are sitting around praying, Oh God, Fix our church. And then we talk about all the people we blame. Fix our pastor, fix our elders, fix the person in the row, fix my kids, fix this thing. Fix it. And when you do, then I'll accept it. Then I'll like it. That's not how it works. You're saying the same thing about your marriages, your families, your businesses, the country. Oh, God, fix it. God will fix it, build it, and rebuild it, but not until we fully give ourselves hearts and hands to his work. Look at First Corinthians chapter 15 verse 58. This is really my life verse. This, I have to tell you, whenever I sign my name I, 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 and I add a verse, this is the verse. The, the verse that I go to more than any other verse to try and keep my life right side up so that I can finish well is this verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. It's easier to cave. Let nothing move you. There's so much that by nature moves me off-center to focus on myself instead of others. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Heart and hands fully invested in the work of the Lord. Why? Because you can know this, that your work, your labor in the Lord is never in vain. It's not empty. It doesn't come up without value. It always has an ROI. The problem with life is that we keep investing and laboring for the wrong thing. Our kingdom, our agenda, ourselves. We're like the Tacoa nobles. I'm not going to follow your agenda. I'm going to follow my agenda. I'm not going to do what you want. I'm going to do what I want. And in so doing, we experience the mess we're in. But Jesus came so all of that could change. And you realize that without Jesus, This whole talk is meaningless because he's the only one that can change our hearts in such a way where we will no longer be so desperate and so empty and so needy that we have to focus on ourselves, but instead he'll fill us from the inside out and we'll have the capacity, the ability, the motivation to love others as ourselves. Which leads me to this important note. In our, in our spiritual lives, We experience diminished potential and decline and destruction simply because we choose to live independently from God rather than in full dependency on God. Do you remember what I said at the very beginning when Adam and Eve walked away from God, the result was they walked away from each other? If we're going to once again join hands and join hearts and live interdependently and love each other as we love ourselves, then the first part is we need to walk back to God, turn around, repent, trust Him. And you need to know, and this is so important, you can't do it on your own. You can't achieve it on your own. Religion teaches us what we have to do are these things, and then we'll be accepted by God. It's a lie from the pit. I I want you to know, and I'll just give two statements of truth and we'll be done and there'll be a prayer between. Knowing God requires grace, not work. If we're going to know God, it requires His loving, gracious forgiveness of us, not us earning it. Do you know what religion teaches us? That we can know God experience God's promises, experience His goodness in our lives independently. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. No, you can't. Ask most people, why do you think you have a relationship with God? Well, because I've tried to live right. The the operative word there is tried. There's another operative word you're not saying, failed. For all have sinned and fall short of God's glory because all of us have tried to do it independently. You will never know God or the fullness of His promises in your life independently. You cannot know God without His grace. You can't know His, his grace by working for it. Let's just make the Bible our guide. Ephesians 2.8.9, For it's by grace you have been saved through faith, through trusting Him. And this is not from yourselves. It's God's gift to you. It can only be received. It can't be earned. It's not by works so that no one can boast. We need to stop trying to live our spiritual lives independently and realize there's only one way to live our spiritual lives, and that's in full dependence on Jesus. He's the one who died on the cross to forgive our sins, and he's the only perfect sacrifice that could do it. He's the one that rose again so that all of us could experience new life a resurrection life, so that we could be redeemed to live how God created us, now that's good. But you have to depend on Him. Invite Him in. Totally depend on Him. Have you? Well, sure, I was born a Christian. No, you weren't. Well, sure I am, because I… Was this religion or that? No, no, that doesn't work. There's only one way. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, that's the person who's saved. This is your moment. So just before I finish off the conversation this weekend, would you bow with me in a word of prayer? And if you already know him, I bet you have things to talk to him about right now. But if you don't yet know him, it's time you stop working. It's time you stop trying to earn it. And it's time that you just put your dependence on him. Take the words of my prayer right now and make them yours. Just say, Jesus, I've messed up. I've been trying to live focused on myself, doing it myself, and I have failed. I've sinned. But I believe, Jesus, you came and lived not for yourself but for me and then died on the cross for my sin. Forgive me and rose again to give me new life, I'm asking you to save me, make me new. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed with me, would you do me a favor? Let, let me know. We've made it so easy. You don't have to do work. It just send me a text, 313131. The only message you have to send is the name of our church, Northridge. One word, And what we'll do is we'll send you a link, and it takes you about a minute to fill it out and send it back. Our team has put together some ideas and support for you for how you can take your next steps with God, we'd love to send you a New Testament Bible. Please, please let us know. But the story doesn't end there. It's true that knowing God requires grace, not works, but you need to know this. In your spiritual life, pleasing God, which is the whole point, that's how we cultivate goodness in the world. That means we're living for his kingdom. That means we're depending on others and not just living for ourselves. Pleasing God requires work, our effort, and grace, his power, his presence, his promise. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. But it takes us right back to creation, doesn't it? God created us to reflect His image in this world, to cultivate His goodness, to further His goodness in this world, to do good works. We blew it because we started living independently. But now in Christ, we're created, made new, to do good works again, to be what we were originally intended to be, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is an awesome reality. We can have exactly what God intended for us if we'll turn to Him which is exactly what Jesus is saying in John 15, 5. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. You see what that's saying, right? Depend on yourselves, live independently. You can do nothing. You can work real hard, and you'll suffer a lot. But when you depend on me, when you remain in me and I in you, you bear much fruit. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live in the season of 140 years of broken down walls and broken down lives and broken down relationships. I want to live in the season of Nehemiah where we get to say, we rebuilt the wall. But to do it, we have to live God's way. Let's do it together because he's the builder and the rebuilder. So so grateful for you. Thanks for coming. Hope to see you next week. Have a great week. See you next time.